But this morning, before we come to uh, our time of study in the book of Genesis, I do want to ask you all to keep a family in prayer. Uh, this, um, this week, a uh, detective uh, from the El Paso Police Department, his name is Mark Gagnon, he passed away uh, due to cancer. And he has a wife and two daughters, and we want to lift that family up in prayer today. So we'll do that in just a moment as we come to our time of prayer. I'd like for you to turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to be praying, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to be studying, actually, uh, uh, verses 24 25, but I'm going to read all the way down to the end, which is verse 31. We're down to verse 31, because I want you all to get a, a feel that we're almost done with chapter 1. At least I'll let you hear it and read it. And then we will pray, and we'll pray for this family today. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle, and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which, the, in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, this morning our hearts go out to the Gagnon family and uh, we lift up Mark's wife and his daughters today. We ask, Father, the blessing of your Holy Spirit to be upon them, comforting them, Lord, strengthening them during this very uh, traumatic time and certainly burdensome time, the loss of, of Mark. We ask, Lord, that you will fill them with your wisdom and grace. In the times of their greatest need for you, Lord, may you reveal yourself mightily to them. We thank you so much for the comfort that you have comforted us in those times. May we, in our prayers, comfort them today as well. We pray, Father, for your wisdom 
to be given to us today through the power of your Holy Spirit. The anointing and blessing of your Spirit, may we come to know, Lord, how precious your Word is, how true it is, how righteous it is, how right it is, and how meaningful it is, and how filled with purpose it is for us, as you, our great Creator and Designer, have made us, not only for your good pleasure, but with purpose and meaning. And not just us, but all of your creation. And we give you thanks and praise that you have given us this this opportunity to study, Lord, your word to that extent that we know that in the beginning you created all things. And all things were created for good. And this we thank you for and we bless you for in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. A revolution began in 1831 that affected even to this day the very foundations of science and philosophy and even theology. Most of the time we say the revolutions begin with one shot fired and the shot that was fired was by a 22-year-old British naturalist named Charles Darwin who suggested that life was produced from random chance mutations. And for many years, excuse me, for many years this suggestion would become, and I quote, the theory changed into fact by subsequent naturalists and atheists and liberal theologians. It is what we can call the revolution of evolution. But the more that science advanced and even advances now, the more difficult it becomes to hold these theories. And by the way, they are still theories of evolution. Dr. Michael J. Behe, a biochemist at Lehigh University, who is an advocate of intelligent design, he says in a DVD video entitled Unlocking the Mystery of Life, which can be seen or actually purchased from illustramedia.com. Michael Behe says this, The more we know about life, the more we know about biology, the more problems Darwinism has, and the more design becomes apparent. Now, biologists in the 19th century thought that the cell was the basis of life and the cell was simply a jelly of protoplasm. But within the last 50 years, our knowledge of the cell has exploded. There is an elaborate world at the cellular level. A thimble full of liquid can contain 4 billion single-cell bacteria, each packed with circuits, assembly instructions, and miniature machines. Things unimagined in Darwin's time. There are machines that transport material from one end of a cell to the other. There are machines that turn sunlight into usable energy for every function that the human body needs to accomplish. There are molecular machines that perform these functions. Take, for instance the bacterial flagellum 
Now, we all know what a bacterium is, bacterium uh, and a bacteria, as it were. The flagellum is really the little tail that uh, projects it, or propels it, I should say. Now, you take this bacterial flagellum, which is that little tail which, which moves this bacterium around or propels it around. The flagellum contains a hook. It contains a rotor. It contains a propeller, a drive shaft, and a motor, much like an outboard motor on a boat. Now, it's marvelous. It's, it's a marvel of engineering. But on a molecular level, when they magnify a bacterium 50,000 times, they find that some of these motors rotate at 100,000 RPM and are hardwired into a signal sensory mechanism. They spin fast and then can stop on a dime and turn direction in a second. There are 40 structural parts to this particular machine. I'd like to show you the E. coli bacterium in a, in a conceptual uh, drawing, as it were. There it is. Now you'll notice that it, it looks kind of like a machine, doesn't it? Well, that's certainly not the way E. coli looks, but it's been drawn this way so that you can see that every part of the E. coli bacterium has exactly all these parts that need to be there and of course, we don't, we don't want to, you know, exalt E. coli. It gets people sick and, you know, and all. But the fact is, this is the, the, the closest thing that I can find, so you can, you can see it. But nonetheless, you see the, the flagellum or the, the flagellar filament. That's, when you see it under a microscope, that thing's spinning around and moving everything around. The hook is there to bring it into the body. There's the outer membrane and all of these things. Everything that we mentioned, the rotors, you'll see the rotor and the, and the stator and, the, and, and all. That's the, uh, the conceptual diagram of, of the motor mechanism of, of a bacteria. Isn't that interesting? Now, it cannot, function without any, it cannot function with any part missing. If any part miss is, is, is not there, it can't function. So, scientists have tried to figure out how this little motor could have been produced by natural selection. But they can't. They can't figure out how it was produced by natural selection. Michael Behe has coined this phrase, irreducible complexity, to describe these structures. Irreducible complexity. The idea is that if you take away one part of this little motor, the thing doesn't work. The mechanism has to be put together at the same time with all the parts, not in a gradual process like evolution. The same with the giraffe that we saw earlier. If you take any part of that giraffe's neck out, you know, the, all the valves that close when his neck goes down or the valves that open when the neck goes up or the little sponge by, the, by, by his brain, it cannot evolve. Why? Because if there's one part missing, it can't exist. God created the giraffe with everything built in, batteries included. And evolution has... Can't figure it out. Let me give you one more example of irreducible complexity. The mouse trap. Well, I know that there are a lot more things uh, uh, that have been created, you know, to catch mice in your house. But, but, you know, you just can't beat the mouse trap. That's still around. It requires a spring, a trigger, a trap bar, and the piece of wood it's all mounted on. Of course, you have to supply the cheese. 
But all need to be in the mousetrap for it to work. The spring, the trigger, the trap bar, and the piece of wood. It all has to be there. Any part missing and it doesn't work. Take any piece away and the thing doesn't do what it was intended to do, which is to catch mice. So with natural selection, Darwin theorized that changes could be small and gradual, but each change had to benefit the organism. And yet with the bacterial flagellum as an example here, a bacterium couldn't even function if it didn't have the means to propel itself. And if only one piece of the motor was missing, it wouldn't work. A bacterium with a tail but without a motor wouldn't survive if natural selection was correct. Now listen to what Charles Darwin wrote 150 years ago. And I quote, If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. Well, Charles, it's broken down because of irreducible complexity. Because God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. And He made all of these things to function the way that they do. What does science actually point to today? Evolutionary science? No, I'm talking about real science. What does real science point to? It points to a, an intelligent design, which means it also points to a designer. With billions of years... What do evolutionary scientists still point to? Our Father! This is what they still point to. But they don't call it theory anymore. They call it fact. And they won't allow any debate. You can't bring you know, these other thoughts. Well, in some states you, you can't. Uh, you know, hopefully good Christian science teachers will still... Be out and saying, look, this is another thing that you need to consider. Because you have to have more faith to believe in that. Mug, well, his mug's not there anymore. But after many years, other scientists have actually gone further back in time to make assumptions as to our, early, our earlier ancestors. And here's one of them. That's one of our early ancestors. SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, and, I, and I'm only saying this because Bob Holmes wrote this uh, in an article for the New Scientist magazine, an evolution magazine, in 2009. So this was just a year ago. And this was what it was entitled. The article was entitled, Sponge Larva, Your Unlikely Ancestors. Let me read just a little portion of it, not even getting into the, lo- the sponge part, but uh, this is what he writes. It starts off this way. Call it CSI, Precambrian. About 700 million years ago, one of the most significant and most mysterious events in the history of life on earth occurred. Let me inter- interject here. How do they know that it was 700 million years ago? Sounds more like a fairy tale. Once upon a time. Okay, well, I've interrupted this guy. Let's let him speak. 
Suddenly there was more to life than just single-cell microbes. Within a few tens of millions of years, an extraordinary array of large animals appeared, armed with jaws and claws and eyes and brains. Yet we still know surprisingly little about the origin of multicellular animals. Then he quotes a biologist from from Berkeley, he says, uh, the different branches of the animal tree evolved very rapidly in a short period a long time ago, says Nicole King, an evolutionary biologist at the University of California, Berkeley. And then he goes on, the very first animals left few fossil trails or traces. What they did leave were lots of descendants. It is to these descendants that evolutionary detectives have to turn to reconstruct the events of those early years. By comparing the genes of living organisms and painstakingly working out their family trees, they are slowly building up circumstantial evidence and piecing together a sketch of that first animal, our great to the nth grandmother. And not just its appearance. The detectives are also coming up with a motive, a reason why animals evolved when they did. And he goes on into the fairy tale that somehow because of uh, cellular comparisons and similarities, all of a sudden uh, we are related to the sponge or to SpongeBob. Well, Frank Sherwin, writing for the Institute for Creation Research magazine, Acts and Facts, he counters this hypothetical assertion of the evolutionists with these statements. And I want you to listen to what he says. This is a believer and a scientist. He says, where did the early protochordates come from? Speaking of those types of animals or creatures. In 2006, four evolutionists had a fancy way of admitting they did not know. And he quotes, despite their critical importance for understanding the origin of vertebrates, Phylogenic studies of chordate relationships have provided equivocal results. A fancy way of saying, we don't know. Sherwin goes on to say, today, conflicting secular stories compete over vertebrate origins. Since there is no evolutionary pattern inherent in any biological information, Genesis must be accurate. God created kinds to reproduce after their own kinds. We can trust our origin and destiny to the one who was there in the beginning. End quote. And that brings us to verse 24. By the way, that was our science lesson for the day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, Cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind. And cattle after their kind. And everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Once again, the Lord anticipates and outwits the naturalist by leaving no room for there to be any connection between what he had created the previous day with what he created on the sixth day. The key phrase is still after his kind or after their kind. And so amphibious reptiles don't turn into birds after millions of years because the Lord was very clear and very precise in creating the sea creatures for the sea and the winged fowl for the air. 
purpose and design. Purpose and design. The same as uh, is, is pre- uh, the same precision is observed on the sixth day. Although everything created on the sixth day, including man, was formed from the existing material of the earth. There in verse 25 it says, And God made, which is the word Azza. Remember that last week, uh, the word that was given when God created the sea creatures and the winged fowl was the word Barah, which means out of nothing, ex nihilo. So, once again, we see that God takes what He has already created, as far as material, and then He takes and He forms the animals on the land, and He forms as well man. Genesis chapter 2, if we go over to the next chapter for just a moment, it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, a nephesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H. I didn't mention this before, but when we talked about the living souls that were created on the fifth day, they were nephesh. They were living creatures or living souls. Uh, If you jump down to verse 19 of chapter 2 for just a moment, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. By the way, uh, this is an apparent contradiction, which means it it isn't a contradiction, just looks like it, and that is every fowl of the air, but we'll get into that when we get to chapter 2. Because birds were actually uh, created on the uh, fifth day. But again, we'll, we'll clear up that particular or apparent contradiction. And brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Point being, out of the ground the Lord God formed the beasts of the earth, and of the field, formed man as well. Now getting back to the animals created on the sixth day, they were categorized as cattle, creeping things, and beasts of the earth. Three categories. Certainly, the descriptions given were obviously intended to be all-inclusive. They were intended to be wide-ranging as far as land animals are concerned. Cattle here refers more than likely to domesticated animals of all kinds. You take your cattle, your, your cows and your bulls, and uh, every type uh, that is of that kind... Uh, buffalo, whatever, and, and then, you know, in some sense they are uh, domesticated, but uh, each after their own kind. Sheep can fall into that category because they are herded, just as cattle is herded, so uh, that's how we kind of make those designations here. So it talks about those kinds of animals. And then beasts refer to any number of wild animals, and again, each according to their kind, so lions, tigers, and so on and so forth. Uh, beasts of that nature. Creeping animals, well, don't, don't forget the elephants, giraffes, uh, well, your zoo uh, type of creature. That's beasts. And then the creeping animals, more than likely from insects all the way up to small animals. So it's, that, that's a very broad, broad range, yet each of them according to their kind. Small animals that live close to the ground, uh, Beavers and uh, raccoons, things of that particular type. Very different from the domesticated animals and the wild animals as well, even though they're wild for the most part. Now, scientists have classified millions of different species of animals. We know this. 
including more than 800,000 different kinds of insects. Did you know that? 800,000 different, 800, different kinds of insects, uh, 30,000 kinds of fish, 9,000 kinds of birds, 6,000 kinds of reptiles, 3,000 kinds of amphibians, and 5,000 kinds of mammals, which truly makes the Lord a God of variety. Isn't it a wonderful thing that when God created, He created so much with so much variety. And in each category, so much beauty in these animals. And when we look at the infinite variety of the animal kingdom, both living and extinct, because, you know, we're still going to talk about dinosaurs, we have to be impressed with God's creative power. And let me just say, I, I've got to uh, throw in a little bit of a theory here that some people think in the, in the church, you know, the, as they study, they, they think that dinosaurs were actually, the reason why they became extinct was because they, some, th- some people believe that, that they were Satan's attempt to create. Uh, and, and, uh, but but uh, that theory will go out the window when we get, when we get to dinosaurs. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we talked about the sea creatures last week and, and made a connection there. We're going to expand on that as we go. Oh, by, by the way, let's not forget God's sense of humor as well in his creation. Because there is that sense of humor as we see some animals like the giraffe as we saw. It just a, isn't that the cutest animal? Big, huge, 18 feet tall and it's got these peaks. Doesn't have any vocal cords. So he can say everything you want to say it and he'll never talk back to you. And, and you know, boy, you've got a long neck, you know, and it's... Uh, it just looks at you, uh, and you know, just and, uh, with a nice smile or whatever. Uh, the giraffe is a neat animal, and then of course there's that flamingo, the one that's on your lawn all the time, it's in there, uh, with one leg up, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting animal. And, and certainly the peacock, the peacock is a beautiful animal. We know about NBC, right? You know the color thing, and and all. I'm going to talk about the peacock in uh, peacock in just a moment, but. I think that if, if, if there's any animal that really suggests the great humor of God, it's the platypus. Because it looks like a, a, an animal that just, God just took some extra parts from every other animal and just put them all together. And, you know, some, you know, some evolutionists will say, well, see, the platypus is, uh, you know, indication that, I mean, it's one animal, but it's just, it's great. God just said, look at this. See, the evolutionists are going to say this is kind of a weird animal, but I love it, you know. Big dug beak and the body of a beaver and the legs of some other kind of thing, you know. And the platypus is saying, why, Lord, why? You know, I don't know. Great animal. But here's an interesting tidbit about uh, the peacock. To a peahen, of course, the female of the, of the peacock, the most attractive peacocks are the ones with the biggest fan. So the female looks at the big, you know, the fan, and, and, you know. And, but the big fan on the tail makes it difficult to escape the predator, if there is a predator. And therefore, the peahen rewards the peacock with the least chance of survival. So this certainly becomes a great problem for the evolutionary idea of survival of the fittest. Because you see, the peacock is still around. God has a way of protecting the animals that he's created. Even when they have those particular uh, idiosyncrasies that could get them in trouble. God created them all. And with a tremendous beauty. I, I, had a, I was reading a paper yesterday, 18 pages long. I was going to share it with you today, but I thought, no, 18 pages now. It's a little bit long. But it's all on the peacock. It's all on the peacock, its tail, 
the design of the eye, the, the eyes on the tail, because those are eyes. There, there's uh, different types of feathers. Everything about that peacock, when you get right down to it, screams irreducible complexity. Anything missing, and it doesn't work. God created it the way he wanted it. Beautiful animal. Well, there was no evolutionary struggle for existence among these animals that day, the day that they were created. No evolutionary struggle, no Tyrannosaurus Rex eating on a giraffe or anything like that. As a matter of fact, we're told God saw that it was good. And I would venture to say that uh, if you were to see a picture of the fifth day of creation, that a lamb would probably be nestling up next to a lion. And a bird sitting quietly conversing with a cobra. God's perfect creation created with his intent, purpose, and meaning created for his good pleasure. Let's bring some thoughts into play here that all of God's creation serves him. All of God's creation serves him. For he is the designer and the creator. Even the platypus serves God. The earth served God. God told the earth to bring forth animal life and the earth did. The earth had a very, very special task to perform for God. And it was by God's appointment. How much more should we serve God? As we will see next week, we already know. Created in the image of God. The peak of God's creation and design. That's why we're leaving man's creation till next week. Because it's special creation. Different from all the other creatures. Different from all the other animals. But how much more should we, who are created in the image of God, how much more should we serve Him? Man's task is to serve God while upon this earth. Scripture is clear about this. Exodus 23, verse 25, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and He shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. You shall serve the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 14, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, with all that therein is. We are to serve the Lord. Psalm 2 verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, but serve the Lord. Hebrews 12, even in the New Testament, Hebrews 12 verse 28 and 29, Wherefore we receive, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. What continues to be very (coughs) uh, uh, consistent in these particular verses is that we are called to serve the Lord 
fully and completely. It is not giving this uh, very act to somebody else and say, Hey, you know, God wants you to serve Him. Well, what about you? Hey, that's the question today. What about you? Are you serving the Lord? If God in such great ways created all the heavens and the earth, created all the things out of the the materials that He made, in the way that He made them, and everything was good, if God created us then as the very peak of His creative power, because we were created in His image, then how much more should we today be serving Him? Think about the question. And then think about your service to God. Think about what you have been called to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. As one who is who has been given life. What is that breath for? What is that beating heart for? What are those hands that you have for? I think of people like Amy Carmichael who a great saint of the Lord years and years ago in, in India had fallen so sick that she couldn't get out of bed. Yet for some 46 years, she served the Lord and served those that were uh, certainly very less fortunate than she, taking orphans, bringing them in before they became, they became chattel to uh, others. But her greatest mission, her greatest act of a missionary was the prayers that she prayed and the books that she wrote encouraging us to serve the Lord if we have life and limb. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with rejoicing and yet rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with all of the grace that God has given us and do so acceptably, as, as Paul says in Hebrews, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. If we want anything to be consumed in our lives today, it's everything that keeps us from being the servant that God wants us to be. Lord, consume by Your fire the things that detract us, the things that distract us, the things that that keep us from taking hold of of the life that You've given us and using it for Your glory and honor each and every day of of this life. Wherever it may be, whatever I may do, whatever I've been given grace to do, may I do it as unto the Lord and as unto Your name. May I do it with all honor and glory to You. Service of the Lord. Because we are God's creation. And then we are also to remember that the animals created by God were created as living souls as well. The nephesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H. The nephesh in the Hebrew. And this is to remind us of something. It is to remind us that our Creator is a God of wisdom. Our Creator is a God of wisdom. God grouped the animals into these three classes that men most naturally think of them. Just think of the number. Think of the beauty. Think of the variety of animals as we've spoken about today. Think of their number, their kinds, their shapes, their nature, and their beauty. It all speaks of the glory of God. It all speaks of God's glory. When the children of Israel came back into Jerusalem many years after their captivity. 
after Ezra had come in and built, had the temple rebuilt, and after Nehemiah had come in and the walls had been built, and the people gathered together and read the Word of God and heard the Word of God and stood there as they heard the priest read God's Word. When they began to pray, this is the first sentence of the prayer. Nehemiah 9 verse 6. Listen carefully. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth, and all things that are therein. The seas, and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all, and the hosts of heaven worshipeth thee. That prayer says, everything you created... Everything from the heavens and the stars and the sun and the moon and the, and the fullness of the universe and the fullness of what is in space and all that is on this earth, everything you created worships you. Why? Because God is an awesome designer and an awesome creator. The same goes for the very prayer that was prayed after Peter and the, and the apostles had been chastised by, by, the, by the religious leaders when Peter had, prayed the gospel, had preached the gospel of, of Jesus Christ in the temple. Their prayer begins in Acts 4.24 And when they heard, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and they said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. You know, we have a lot to learn from the prayers of the, of the Scriptures. <clears throat> the, the beginnings of prayers where we think they're praying about God's Word. They're praying about having been brought back into Israel. They're praying about the fact that they were given the opportunity to preach the Gospel in front of, uh, of, in front of friends and enemies and families and whatnot. But their first statement is, God, You created all things. You created it. And You created all things good. What a way to begin a prayer. We have to take notes. No matter what our situation is, we have a God who has the power to create life. And we have been given all of the universe as the declaration of that power. Why can't we trust that God in our life fully and completely? So whatever the basic element of animal life is, whatever man may yet discover to be the basic substance of life, whatever the raw material energy and energy of life is, that basic substance did not just begin to form and mold animal life. Randomly, out of chance, over millions and billions and trillions and trillions of years, Animal life did not just happen. It did not happen by chance. It did not happen by random. It did not happen by some impersonal force or energy bringing the basic cells and the DNA together to form animal life. It did not happen by some physical laws that were already in existence and that just began to form animal life. No, animal life was created by God and by God alone and for God alone. 
And whatever the basic substance are, are that make up animal life, whatever raw forces or laws cause animal life, they were all created and put into operation by God. God and God alone, by the power of His omnipotent Word, created animal life. God and God alone commanded the earth to bring forth animal life. God and God alone. Now think about this. 100 years of research, actually over 100 years of research, has not been able to find significant evidence of gradual development between major animal groups. There is no evidence of crossover between species of animals. As asked, will fossil research ever produce such evidence? We talked about fossils last week a little bit. How can it? when it has been searching for over a hundred years. Significant evidence of crossovers would have certainly been discovered by now, but the missing limbs, uh, links and the gaps are, uh, are still there. The links and the gaps remain, because there is no link. Consider this, the study of life by astrophysics and by biochemistry shows that the probability of evolution is almost zero, if not zero. From the factual and honest study of science, it just seems impossible that life could have come from gases, from protons, from neutrons, electrons appearing out of nothing and developing into a single cell and then continuing to develop into the complex form of man. The true facts point toward each species reproducing its own species because God said, after their kind. And then consider this, that the Scriptures declare that God made and molded animals after their kind. Each species, each major group was created to reproduce only its own kind. I take you back to Romans 1 as a little bit of review, but to look at something else to build upon here from this section. We studied it a little bit last week, or at least we mentioned it last week. Romans 1, verses 19-23. Let's add to this thought that Paul is giving us. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. Everything you see, God has showed it to you. We talk about looking up to the stars, to the stars at night to the constellations that are in place every season, God is showing us. He says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and God is, so they are without excuse. I find this very interesting at this point in time in our study. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world. That bacteria, invisible to our eyes, isn't it? The things that are visible and invisible, God says, I've shown it to you. Now we have the microscope. Now we can see and we say, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. Even that little bacterium has a motor and a propeller to get it around. And if any of those parts are missing, guess what? It couldn't have evolved. It all had to be given together. It all had to be put together, just like you and I are put together. 
And then it says, being understood by the things that are made. If we truly desire to know why there is life and answer those questions of life that we asked the very first week we studied, why am I here? What is my purpose? We would know if we look to God and not look at the things that God created completely and totally and only. Because then he says, even his eternal power in Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. These are the Richard Dawkins of the world, the Christopher Hitchens of the world, who can write books, and even their own books, when you examine it closely. And I'm going to bring this up next week. But even if you examine their books closely, you realize they contradict themselves because they cannot get around the design dilemma. Even though they say there's no designer. Well, they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man into birds, four-footed beasts and creeping things. And so they've got us worshiping the ape and Spongebob but not the God who created us in His image. And we know who the Creator is, and we know that He has the power to do what He did. John 1, verse 3, All things were made by Him. The Logos, the wisdom of God, who is Jesus Christ. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Everything was made by God and by Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, verse 9, To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus. We know who created. And we know who holds everything together. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, For by Him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. The things that we can see like the giraffe and the things that we can see like that bacterium. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. How many of us know that there's a battle going on in this room today? Principalities and powers fighting over your, your attention to God's Word today. Did you know that? See, some of you have been sitting here thinking about the USA and Canada playing hockey at 1 o'clock. <laughs> the thought just came to mind. Uh, what do you say about bacteria? What? You see... The enemy is trying to distract you. Keep your focus on the Lord. Because there are thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, but God created them all. And for Him. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. In other words, all things are held together. But the most important verse of Scripture for you to take home, and that's why it's one of the last verses I'm giving you, Notice I didn't say the last, one of the last. is Revelation 4.11. We want to learn to sing this song soon. And thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. All things. The animals of the sixth and the fifth day were all created for his pleasure. And they were good. 
And that's what we want to talk about here as we close. God saw that His creation was good. The animals of the earth fulfilled their function. The word good means that the land animals of the earth were valuable. They had a specific purpose for being created. There are at least, by the way, four major reasons why God created land animals. The first, of course, was to populate and give life to His creation and to the earth. The second was to help carry on the the reproduction of the food chain. And you say, well, wait a minute. Uh, Doesn't it tell us there in chapter 1 that every one of us and even the animals were all vegetarians? Yes, it does. We'll we'll get to that next week. All vegetarians. Some of you are saying, you mean there wasn't a cattleman's around at the time? Well, what was God preparing? Remember that God is all-knowing and He knows what was going to happen after man was placed in the garden. Eventually, the animals would populate for what reason? There would be sacrifice and there would be for food. God was already preparing. Thirdly, to give variety and beauty to the earth, to show forth His glorious handiwork. And certainly animals are great in that. I love going to zoos. Zoos are wonderful places. You know, I don't listen to read all that stuff billions of years ago or this and that. I just look at the animal and I say, Lord, you're just too much. With so much variety for us to enjoy. And then to provide companionship for man. Even our little puppies. Our little chihuahuas. Our little Great Danes. All of them. For our companionship. Now, you might have other animals, I'm sure. Little birds that sing in the morning or snakes that hiss at night. Whatever it might be. I hope you don't have those. Well, I don't know. Maybe if you do, it's okay. God created them. But <laughs> there was one in the garden, by the way. We'd have to talk about it in a couple, you know, a couple of months, I'm sure. The fact of the matter is the importance of these purposes is clearly seen when we picture an earth without land animals. Just imagine how empty the land of the earth would be without any animal life whatsoever. How empty. What an emptiness would fill, would fill the land. But God just was so marvelous, so wonderful in giving us what we have to enjoy today. I leave you with Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, and Solomon's words of wisdom to us. He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has set the world in their heart. Now, the word world there literally means in the context of this whole verse, eternity. So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to end. As finite beings, we just marvel at what God can do. But He's put eternity in us. To realize how grand God is. He's made everything beautiful in His time. Now the sad thing is, why do we have incidents like we did this week where a killer whale killed a a worker at uh, one of these sea parks? It's a beautiful animal, isn't it? The killer whale. But just take note of its first name killer whale we have to be very careful but do you know what the reason really is it wasn't the killer whale that's just its nature it all goes back to the garden it all goes back to disobedience and to the sin of man not the animal 
Man. We'll talk about that more as we go along. Shall we pray?